You're listening to Radio Maria. It's about time for today's catechesis and we are joined by Joanna Bogle who is going to be talking to us about the Transfiguration and August. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. It's a very, very hot one. Oh dear. <laughs> Joanna's just been telling me how she's uh, in the dust of Hyde Park, such is her commitment to to Radio <laughs> Maria and to the to the Catholic faith that she's she's willing to uh, sacrifice herself in um, <laughs> not too far from Tyburn, of course, where many many Catholic martyrs were indeed sacrificed. So yes, indeed, I, and in the London that John Henry Newman knew so well, and I'll be mentioning him a bit too. Wonderful. So thank you so much, Joanna, and um, oh. over to you. Well. One of the great feasts of August, it really dominates the month, is the Feast of the Transfiguration, August the 6th. And I thought I'd talk a bit about it because we, we know it uh, as one of the major events in the Gospel. And John Paul II drew attention to it when he created the luminous mysteries of the Rosary, the mysteries of light. And he placed it very correctly and splendidly uh, as the fourth luminous mystery leading up, as it were, to the Eucharist and the Last Supper, the great events of Christ's passion. There's something terribly important about the Transfiguration, and perhaps given that it's all about light, it's kind of logical for us in, in, in the Northern Hemisphere that it comes in this, these hot months, this hot month, these hot, hot days of August. What is the Transfiguration? Well, it's described in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and um, uh, many great writers refer to the fact that it's kind of hinted at very profoundly in John's Gospel in the first chapter. Jesus leads the, the, the ones closest to him, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain. And there, we are told, he was transfigured before them. He became gleaming in light, wearing a light, bright white robe and gleaming with light. And then on either side of him appeared Moses and Elijah. Moses, the great figure of the Old Covenant who gives us the law, the Ten Commandments, and Elijah, the great figure of the Old Covenant, who is the prophet. So down the centuries, it's always been understood that Jesus is transfigured there with the law and the prophets. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Imagine what that must have meant to these three disciples raised on the old covenant, deeply knowledgeable uh, within the very core of their being as ordinary men, as fishermen and so on, that they knew the Ten Commandments. They knew about the law and the prophets. They were waiting for the Messiah. Elijah had prophesied about what was to come. It's all terribly important. And here is Christ, transfigured before them, gleaming with light. And you get this enormous sense of awe. And Peter blurts out this extraordinary thing. Let, let us make three, three tents, three arbors, so, so we can, for the three of you, so we can all stay here, you know. We've often pondered all of this, all of us, because it's, it's one of those things that proves Christ's divinity. Here he is being transfigured. This is no ordinary prophet or speaker. This is no social worker. This is no nice chap who goes around trying to heal the sick. This is the Son of God. This is Almighty God. This echoes his baptism in the Jordan. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. This is Trinitarian in the deep sense. This is prophetic and teaching. And we understand, uh, as we ponder this over the centuries in the church, just how crucial this is. And crucial is an interesting word because we are leading up to the events of Christ's 
death and resurrection, which are going to test his apostles' belief and commitment to the utmost. He is going to be crucified like a common criminal, scourged cruelly, nailed to a cross, humiliated, tortured by thirst. There's something about this transfiguration that is, in that sense, preparing them for what is to come. I really am who you think I am, who I have said I am. I am the great I am. I am he who spoke to you from the great mountain and gave you the Ten Commandments. I am he who preached you on the Sermon on the Mountain. I am he. I am. And that I am will be echoed as he speaks to Pontius Pilate. How dramatic then that we get this this account of the transfiguration. And we are there in, in awe with the apostles. And there's something about Christ glowing with light, this light, bright robe, that lends itself to this idea of the luminous mysteries, the mysteries of light that John Paul gave us in the mysteries of the rosary. There's something very, very important about the transfiguration. And no surprises, it's been... Uh, celebrated and taught down all the centuries of Christianity, 2,000 years of teaching. There's something else I thought I'd mention about August, though, which links to the music we're going to hear. Keep the transfiguration in your mind, its drama, its significance, and a bit more about it when we've had some music. But in pondering the music, I was asked by Radio Maria what music I'd like, and I immediately settled for hymns by John Henry Newman. Now, that's because I'm a great Newman fan. And uh, he is, of course, one of the great hymn writers of the modern era. Absolutely superb. But there's another reason. August brings the commemoration of the death of John Henry Newman. What would, in an old ordinary calendar, perhaps have been his feast day. But the decision was made to make his feast day the day he became a Catholic, came into full communion with the Catholic Church. An unusual but not unique thing in the history of the Church. Um, there's always been this tradition uh, that you can choose when a feast day is, and many of the saints have a feast day which is not on the day they died and went to heaven. Nevertheless, there's also a very strong tradition. But it is the the day you die and go to heaven. When I give talks about feasts and seasons and traditions in the Catholic Church, I often say to people, I wish we had more saints' feast days in August. It's rather a bleak month in the church in the sense that there aren't so many feast days, whereas the autumn is positively crammed with them. And among others, we have some new saints' days then, including John Paul II and including John Henry Newman. Might have been nice to have had Newman in August. Don't let's worry about it, but in a moment, let's listen to his glorious, uh, one or two of his glorious hymns. But the Transfiguration does dominate August, along with the other great feast of this month, the Assumption of Our Lady. In a sense, they have so much that links them together, but then all of the gospel links together, all of our faith links together. The assumption of Mary into heaven reminds us that we too will have bodies in heaven. When we say the creed, we reaffirm this fact, I believe, in the resurrection of the dead, the communion of saints. And the transfiguration is a reminder that we too, we too, will in that sense be transformed when we pass into glory at the time of our death and we pray, every time we pray the rosary, Uh, We ask Mary to pray for us now, at this moment, and at the time of our death. So let's think about the transfiguration 
And in a moment after the music, uh, we'll hear a bit more about how it has marked Christian history and what it means in the life of the church. August the 6th, the Transfiguration. August, the month when we think about how Christ was transfigured on the mountain. Oh, and more about that mountain in a moment too. Thank you, Joanna. We're going to start with Praise to the Holiest in the Height.
You are listening to Catechesis on Radio Maria. And Joanna Bogle is with us talking about the Transfiguration and August. Apologies, Joanna, our technology is not working 100% correctly and I was unable to talk to you during the break. But we're still here and we're trying to connect with you. But it's fine on air. You're back on air. Right. That's wonderful. Not to worry. I was really enjoying sitting in rather too hot sunshine, but feeling refreshed by that glorious hymn, Praise to the Holiest in the Height, and in the depths be praise. And actually, it couldn't be more suitable for pondering the transfiguration. And we're looking at this great feast, August the 6th, which really dominates this month. You can read about it in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, starts at verse 28. And we're back again with these three favoured apostles. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James. Now, regular listeners to Radio Maria will remember I talked about St. James on his feast day back in July, uh, noting that he is one of these three that is, if you like, uh, privileged to go with the Lord um, and for the transfiguration and on other occasions. There's something very important about the detail that St. Luke gives us about the transfiguration. First, we go up the mountain to pray. This is all very important. Remember, the Ten Commandments were given on a mountain. Remember, Christ preaches the Sermon on the Mount. There's always this idea of the mountain. We think of Mount Calvary. So, There's always this, where there's a mountain, watch out, this is going to be a a pivotal moment, a central moment. So they go up the mountain to pray. And then the gospel tells us, as he prayed, the aspect of his face was changed and his clothing became brilliant as lightning. Suddenly there were two men there talking to him. They were Moses and Elijah appearing in glory, and they were speaking of his passing which he was to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, as I was saying earlier, Moses and Elijah are here, the the law and the prophets. And this would have meant immediately a great significance to Peter, James, and John, steeped as they were in an understanding of the old covenant and of the promises made by God to his people that would be fulfilled. The law and the prophets. But it's interesting that Luke gives us the detail that they were speaking, and this means Peter, James, and John could hear because they are the witnesses to this. It is they who, who tell the gospel writer all that occurred, and, and he faithfully recounts it. So they could hear Moses and Elijah speaking with Christ of his passing, which he was to accomplish in Jerusalem. This is the great act of our redemption. This is Calvary. This is the Last Supper, the cross, the resurrection. This is the core of our faith. And they were speaking of these things. And this is a Trinitarian image. There are three. They're on a mountain. They're speaking of the cross and resurrection. This couldn't be more important. The transfiguration illuminates for us the core of the Paschal mystery, the mystery of our redemption. And then we get a very human, very powerfully human statement It goes on, I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, Peter and his companions were heavy with sleep, but they kept awake and saw his glory and the two men standing with him. We get a hint here that it is Peter in particular who has told Luke about this. Peter, who describes being heavy with sleep and so on. And then we get this very human bit where he says, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. It's as if he sort of blurted it out. Again, we can see something Trinitarian here. 
we can see something which points us perhaps towards the tabernacle, which is in all our churches. Stay with us, Lord. Stay with us. And we have this powerful understanding. They were overcome with slumber. Perhaps this points us also to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they sleep while the Lord is in his agony. And he begs them, will you not watch one hour with me? And then there's also this powerful sleep, this slumber. Is it the awe, the mystery, the, the, the hugeness of this occasion that sweeps over them, the massiveness of it? They were overcome with slumber. A feeling perhaps too about the guards at the tomb on um, the night of the resurrection who are overcome with slumber and this, this thing happens. Anyway, it says he did not know what he was saying. That's only Peter blurting something out. And as he spoke, Luke tells us, a cloud came and covered them with shadow. And when they went into the cloud, the disciples were afraid. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Now we get here the message they'd also that was also heard at the baptism of the Lord in the Jordan. Very, very important. Again, a Trinitarian moment. The voice of the Father is heard. And then it says the disciples kept silence and at that time told no one what they had seen. They did tell people later on because they told Luke, who records it in his gospel. But there's, again, a sense here of the awe, the massive awe and the mystery of it. We will not speak of these things at this time. And then later, after the resurrection, they understood. They put it all together. It all made sense. They spoke of it. And we know of the transfiguration. We mark it in the church's calendar every year, August the 6th. And the church honors it, giving it uh, to the names to churches and monasteries, repeating the story. And it is, as I mentioned, one of the mysteries of light in the luminous mysteries of light in the Holy Rosary, which significantly begin with the baptism in the Jordan, which, as I said, again, is another Trinitarian moment, a moment of revelation. Christ revealed, the voice of the Father heard. So the transfiguration is very important. It points us to the hugeness of what is to be accomplished in Jerusalem, as is said, when Moses and Elijah are speaking with the Lord of what is to be accomplished in Jerusalem. So there's something incredibly powerful here that points us to the very core of our faith. The transfiguration isn't just an oh gosh moment. It's an oh gosh moment that points us to the deep, deep mystery. Let's hear some more from the incomparable John Henry Newman when he writes the, these glorious hymns. And let's celebrate with Newman this faith, this faith which is at the heart of all that we know and understand about why we're here on earth. One day we will meet God face to face. That is simply going to happen. And it's a question of how well we know him and how well we have served him while we're on this earth. The transfiguration points us to that heavenly kingdom where every human person is truly destined, that enormous plan of God to sweep us all, all, eventually into the might of what he came to achieve. Whether we like it or not, whether we say, oh, I'm an atheist and it's not for me, doesn't make any difference to God. It just makes a difference to us how well we will know him when he comes. We've heard about praising the holiest in the height and in the depths be praised. So now let's hear another Newman hymn. Thanks, Joanna. This is Firmly, I Believe and Truly.
are listening to Radio Maria. This is Catechesis. That was firmly, I believe, and truly. I'm not sure about the tune, Joanna. I did look around, but um, that was one of the most traditional ones I could find. There's just a huge array of tunes out there. That tune could not have been more appropriate. I was going to speak about it. I love that particular tune to that glorious hymn, Firmly, I Believe and Truly, God is Three and God is One. I particularly like that tune because we had it at our wedding over 40 years ago, my husband Janie and I, and I chose that tune. We had a lot of Newman's hymns and we had a, we had a very beautiful uh, nuptial mass. And uh, we chose, I chose that tune because long before I'd had that tune, although not that hymn, on my first communion day, there was a hymn that was sung then, probably still is, Welcome, 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 Jesus, in my heart forever stay. All my life I will remember this my first communion day. And that tune was used for that hymn. And I said, can we please have it for Firmly I Believe and Truly? We did. And I remember thinking, and when we were planning it, that I'll, I'll also think uh, of, the, uh, of the words, all my life I will remember this my happy wedding day, which I have, and I've just recorded it. So Firmly oh, I Believe Thank and Truly. You. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, well, it's just a, a happy thing. And I think one of the nice things about being a Christian is that your life gets folded into that larger life, which is the life of the church, with its hymns and its traditions and its liturgy and so on. And uh, so that's just something nice that I'm sitting here in the sunshine uh, treasuring. And that hymn I also chose for today, partly because, as I mentioned earlier, Newman is an August figure. He died in this month of August and went to God. And although we celebrate his feast day uh, in the autumn, the day on which he came into full communion with the Catholic Church, we think of him in this August when he went to God. Uh, his figure, his life uh, transcends the whole 19th century, born in 1801, and he died at the end of that century. So his long life, he died a venerable and much loved figure. And one of the things that we love about him is he gave us these glorious hymns. Very Trinitarian. Firmly I believe and truly, God is three and God is one. And I next acknowledge duly manhood taken by the sun. And as we ponder the transfiguration, this very August feast, uh, we think about that manhood taken by the sun and God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity came and lived among us as a man, earned his bread as a carpenter, and then was transfigured before his disciples, no longer just a man among men, but, but something more, which they had instinctively known all along, and here he is being transfigured. And this fulfills what uh, the Old Covenant taught, and uh, we get a, a taste of the transfiguration in the, in the book of Exodus, where we're told the glory of the Lord settled on the mountain of Sinai. For six days, we are told, the cloud covered it. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. And it's interesting because we get here something which sort of seems to prophesy the transfiguration, or, or to put it another way, the transfiguration fulfills that description in Exodus, you have the cloud, you have the voice of the Lord calling from the cloud. And then Moses came down from the mountain from that cloud, down from Sinai, and he came down with the tablets of the law in his hands. And we're told he did not know that the skin on his face was radiant 
after speaking with the Lord. His face shone. And here again, we have a sort of hint of the transfiguration to come. Christ is transfigured on the mountain, his garments glowing, and Moses, very significantly, Moses and Elijah are with him. Just imagine what that must have meant to the apostles. Uh, Jewish men raised on the scriptures, knowing that their fulfillment would in some mysterious way be one day fulfilled, and seeing it, seeing it, and hearing it fulfilled before their very eyes, and hearing that the voice of God, this is my beloved son, listen to him, and, and knowing that this is Moses and Elijah conversing and being there at the presence of the fulfillment of it all. So transfiguration is hugely important. And Newman understood this when he tries to emphasize the the Trinitarian fulfillment of all things. We can really never ponder this too much. Our faith is very profound and very exciting. Of course, at another level, it's very simple. We pray to God. We know he hears our prayers. We try to obey the commandments. We try to live out our Christian lives in cheerful service to God and neighbor. We take on big projects because of that. And we think of all the good work being done for the poor, the lonely uh, here in London. I think of Mother Teresa's nuns beavering away there in their convent on the south bank of the Thames, caring for disadvantaged children, caring for homeless people. I think of the good work being done at St. Patrick's in Soho, hot cooked breakfast served to homeless people. I think of the Passage Centre, caring for the poor next to Westminster Cathedral, and so many more projects. I'm only mentioning a few, and I think of schools uh, now close to the holidays, but where people try their best to teach the Christian faith to children. Above all, I think of families passing on the faith, grandmothers and grandparents trying to say to the children, this is what we know to be true. Always that idea of passing on the faith, caring for the poor, caring for one another, and having to stand up, even if it's unpopular, for things that are at the core of our faith, the Nuptial meaning of all things, man and woman united in lifelong marriage, purity, the importance of chastity and reverence for Almighty God. And then when you ponder this transfiguration, it's a wonderful reminder. It's all true. It's all profound. Christ at the core of it, shining with light. This is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is why God came to earth to redeem man. And here we are living the church, doing it and with the feasts and fasts of the calendar. Listening to catechesis on Radio Maria means that we can go through the calendar and live the truths of the church as they lived through the calendar, but also through the lives and teaching of the saints. And I think we need this, to be honest, because in modern Britain, we can get sucked into a very secular worldview in which nothing else really matters except what is of the passing moment, really. Hey, I want to get a really good tan. Hey, what are you doing this summer? Have you heard what's on? What is the latest big, big rock festival? What is the political news? And also the jargon and slogans of the era. So that a word like trans becomes the fashionable thing where people think that you can change biology and uh, somebody can believe that they're a man or a woman when they aren't and, and that it's more important for them to believe that than to believe the truth about themselves and human biology. We need to live richly in the life of truth, in the life of knowledge, in the life of questioning and challenging cliches. So next time you hear the word trans, think transfiguration. Christ illuminated on the mountain. Yes, this is the one who was to come. 
This is the one who makes sense of our humanity. This explains our entire Western civilization, the way we number our years, the laws that we have, the moral formation that has been passed on lovingly from one generation to the next, redeeming the mistakes that each generation makes, wars, cruelty, injustice, struggling to make a beautiful place on this earth because we are always pointing to the life to come. The transfiguration should sort of break through the cliches of the modern era and take us to the mountain with Moses and with Elijah. A deep gratitude to the Jewish people for keeping the covenant and above all an understanding that God is in charge. God came and joined in with his creation, became a human being. And here we are living in that reality, 2022 years on from his arrival in the womb of the Virgin Mother, from his birth at Bethlehem, and then through his 33 years on this earth, including the time when he was transfigured. Another and final bit of music shortly as we ponder that great mystery. Join me on this scorching August day, thinking about the transfiguration and Christ our Savior shining with light before his apostles, ordinary men, given an extraordinary message to convey to the world, the message that their successors in the Catholic Church continue to teach today. Thank you so much, Joanna. This is Lead Kindly Light from Arundel Cathedral.
What incredibly striking, beautiful lyrics. Uh, Lead Kindly Light, the lyrics by John Henry Newman, who died 132 years ago today. We are joined by Joanna Bogle from the hot dust of Hyde Park, and she has been talking to us about the transfiguration in August. Um, Joanna, I just have one comment. It's it's always strikes me when... Um, Peter, James and John on the, on the Mount Tabor, they they recognise Moses and Elijah. Um, and it reminds me of uh, in Sister Faustina's diary when she, she kind of mystically went to heaven and she said she recognised the saints from their paintings. And um, But of course, Peter, James and John didn't have paintings of Moses and Elijah. And yet they did, they were able, it seems, to recognise them. And so it's a, a beautiful sign of hope, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll know who is who. Do you think that's the case? <laughs> I like the thought of that. I think we will, because uh, everything in heaven will be like here, but full and logical. And uh, there won't be any problems with recognising anybody in heaven. Uh, there's a whole lot that is fascinating. One of the things that I think we all look forward to uh, at the Transfiguration, points us to our home in heaven, is seeing those we love. Uh, who have gone before us and who we grieved uh, when when they went. Uh, I'm looking forward to looking to meeting my dear parents again. I'm older now, and they've both gone to God. And I'm I'm thrilled by the thought of, that I will see them and spend eternity with them. It makes uh, working to try to be good and get to heaven uh, uh, worthwhile. Uh, we will see uh, those, for example, whom we have long honoured. I. I'm always thinking each November of, of the brave soldiers who died in war. Uh, sometimes it seems so pointlessly, but God will honor valor, and we will see the men who died for our country. And uh, I, for one, want to be able to tell them that we, we tried to do our best to keep it a good and happy and Christian place. I, I imagine the chaps who died on the Battle of the Somme saying, what did you do with the England we left you? And uh, I think they're part of our judgment. But, you know, we've got to be able to give them some kind of an answer. Uh, but yes, we will recognize people. And one of the things that's uh, interesting is the sacraments come into this. I remember being told, you will know priests when they in heaven. They will look different. They have had a character on their soul. Priestly ordination imparts a character on your soul. So you know who's a priest and who isn't. So we will know the saints, I think. God will allow us to know them and you will be able to greet your your favorite saint and yeah you'll recognize her or him you'll recognize them i say her because i was just uh, uh, looking up uh, in my diary at the things that are happening and we're going to be honoring saint bernadette of lourdes in london at westminster cathedral the relics of bernadette are, are being brought and there'll be a huge series of events at the cathedral so yeah if you're interested in bernadette you'll recognize her you'll recognize the saints your patron saint uh, we will recognize each other. We will recognize the people we have honored while we're here on earth, our soldiers who died in war. We'll recognize those whom we knew and loved on earth. But these will be glorified bodies. So, you know, everything will be perfected. No suffering, uh, no cruel disfigurement. And, yeah, there will be a fulfillment. But I think we can trust that uh, God will arrange that we will, yes, recognize everyone. But it is interesting that uh, Peter, James, and John recognized Elijah and Moses and perhaps this also points us to the need to to teach because they were brought up devoutly they praised the Psalms they knew uh, the stories of the old covenant they'd been brought up on an understanding of Moses being given the Decalogue the Ten Commandments the tablets of stone um, they were understanding it because 
Christ came among men who he had through God the Father, lovingly prepared down the centuries. Now, we too are being given this knowledge, the church teaches and teaches and teaches, and we really must keep on doing that. And one of the things that is very, very sad is that there are too many children in Britain today in a nation which has had the faith for so many centuries, it first came to us in in Roman times, uh, where they don't know the basic prayers and they don't know about the Lord. And we must keep on teaching. Uh, There are some images we can use with which they will be familiar. For example, the Christmas scene, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph and the child in in the manger at Bethlehem. And some will be vaguely familiar with the image of the cross. And using these things, we must build up and teach. And we really must do this. Now, not only in our Catholic schools, where at least they do know the Lord's Prayer and say it and this sort of thing, but also whenever we can. Anybody who's doing any project work with children about teaching the faith, you are doing great things. And if you are doing it to children who go to church only marginally, who are turning up with another friend who goes to Mass and then has brought this kid along, you're doing great work. We've got to be able to prepare children so that they can encounter Christ. And I think that's really important. Thank you. uh, Yes, Elizabeth, (laughs) you'll recognize the saints. (laughs) And one final thought on the saints. Um, You thought that um, August is a little bit poor with saints. But of course, (laughs) here this week's been pretty exciting, I have to say, especially because we celebrated um, St. Dominic on Monday. And of course, our, our priest director, Father Toby Lees, is a Dominican. So that was a very big day for him and the community. And then, of course, hot on the heels of St. Dominic, we've had St. Teresa Benedicta, uh, St. Lawrence, and today St. Clair. So just any parting words about this week's saints? Yes, I was being a bit mean about August because I do feel it rather bleak. Um, In many parishes, the choir goes on holiday, uh, Catholic actions sort of cease. I mean, you know, the gathering of the Catholic Women's League or whatever doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? There's a bleak feeling. Um, And I I think we need more saints days to make up for that. But I'm being a bit silly because, as you say, we have had a feast this week. I particularly loved celebrating the feast of St. Edith Stein, uh, known by her name as a, as a Carmelite nun, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And as it happens on that very day, I was giving a talk about another nun who rescued Jewish families in Italy during World War II. And it couldn't have been a more appropriate day because beloved St. Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, uh, perished in Auschwitz, murdered by the Nazis as part of the ghastly holocaust of the Jewish people. And it was just um, a a providential thing that on that very day I was invited to give a talk to a secular group about this because uh, Mother Ricarda Hambra, who who rescued Jewish people in in Rome in World War II, uh, I've written a book about her and I was invited to give a talk. So I was really thinking about Edith Stein on that day. And for inspiration, I was reading up some of her work and she was the most superb brilliant philosopher and a profound influence a profound influence on pope now saint john paul who was uh, living in krakow uh, very near auschwitz where she was to perish and they didn't know about each other and then years later he becomes archbishop of krakow and is profoundly influenced in his studies by edith stein by her philosophy and then presides over her beatification. There's a mystery in the way these things are woven together through the horror, the tragedy of the murder of six million Jews in the Holocaust. You get something great and noble passed on, passed on her philosophy, her ideas, her courage, her faith, 
And here we are all these years later, and I'm sitting in a London park and pondering that mystery. So, yeah, there are great things in August. There are great things in August. Thank you. And can I just encourage any of our listeners who, who don't know the saints so well to, to get to know them? They really are our friends in heaven, this amazing communion of saints that the Catholic Church gives us. Thank you so much, okay. Joanna, today for joining us. And we look forward to when you'll be able to join us again, which we hope will be very soon. And thank you for sweating it out in Hyde Park. <laughs> thank you too. Bye. Bye.